0: This is Pastor Landon Davis. Thank you for joining me for our daily podcast. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm reading from the World English Bible. But concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need that anything be written to you. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. For when they are saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come on them like birth pains on a pregnant woman. Then they will in no way escape. But you, brothers, aren't in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night nor to darkness. So then let's not sleep as the rest do, but let's watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep in the night. And those who are drunk are drunk in the night, but since we belong to the day, let's be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, this is the opening to chapter 5. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you'll remember, concluded with the encouraging words concerning the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church to to meet him. And so Paul is still on this same topic. He's continuing with this theme when he states that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Um, But it's not intended to catch the church unaware. Destruction is going to come to the world, uh, and so the Christian can't afford to slumber spiritually. We don't know the day or the hour, but we belong to the day and not to the night. We're not in complete ignorance. We can see the seasons and the times. We know, at the very least, to live as if he's coming. So we must be watching. We must be ready. Uh, According to this, he says, to have the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation, so we have to be full of these attributes, faith, love, and hope, and know that Christ died so that we could escape the wrath of God's judgment and live eternally with Him. Verse 11 Therefore, exhort one another and build each other up, even as you also do. But we beg you, brothers, to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to respect and honor them in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves, we exhort you, brothers. Admonish the disorderly, encourage the faint-hearted, support the weak, be patient towards all. See that no one returns evil for evil to anyone, but always follow after that which is good for one another and for all. And so he's just told us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. But you can't be right with God if you aren't willing to love and forgive and forgive and make peace and get right with your brothers or sisters in the Lord. And so Paul gives practical advice here concerning our relationship with fellow believers. We're to encourage and build one another up. We're to give proper recognition, respect, honor, and love to those who lead the church. And and then we're to be at peace with one another. Sometimes the only way to have peace, though, is to address a fault. Uh, love covers up a multitude of sins, and we don't have to make a mountain out of every mohill. Some people are just difficult to get along with, and so they'll always have a reason to be provoked. I- I'm not talking about that, but in the context here when he talks about making peace, it, it doesn't mean uh, to ignore obvious problems, but sometimes you have to address it just in the right spirit. And so instead of ignoring a fault, you have to use wisdom, so you don 't want everyone in the church or everyone who calls the name of jesus to to take it upon themselves to to burst everybody else 's bubble and become critical in their spirit. Um, you know some people they act as if that 's their own ministry to pull people down we 're still instructed to edify. But within the church, there are times when people are disorderly in their behavior or in their attitude or or things they allow in their personal life. And so he said, after he tells us to keep peace, he tells us, go ahead and admonish or correct the disorderly and uh, the discouraged have to be comforted sometimes and the weak have to be strengthened sometimes. And so whatever you're having to do, if you're doing it to minister, so be sure that you're full of passion, or compassion, I'm sorry, and patience. Um, and then he gives us this little warning. Um, and it's it's based on a principle that goes throughout the scripture, that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not, not to the church uh, in this age, and certainly not to us as individuals. Um, in our personal relationships, as well as, in any necessary church discipline we have to be sure that we're not being vindictive uh, that we're not giving someone what they deserve we we are called to this ministry of mercy and we're vessels of grace and so uh he said don't don't return evil for evil and uh, in the context here he's admonishing people who are disorderly and correcting people who've gotten weak, but we've got to be patient and we can't be vindicative. We've got to be willing to forgive. We've got to be full of, of the love of God. So, um, this is Paul's exhortation, always try to do what is good and right for the individual. And he says, and for all. And so in any judgment, that we have to make and any action that we take, we're trying to restore the person and also to spare the church. We have both in mind. Verse 16: Always rejoice, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus towards you. Don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies. Test all things and hold firmly that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So after discussing appropriate interactions with other believers, now Paul is encouraging his readers to examine their own heart and and their personal lives as well. And so he gives us a series of things to do and then a series of things to uh, refrain from doing. So first he says, always rejoice, always pray, and always give thanks And he concludes by saying, this is the will of God. A lot of people think of the will of God as something that's so mysterious and they're always seeking to attain it. And certainly we want the Lord to order our steps. But it's amazing how the will of God will unfold uh, when someone has the right heart. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And so the easiest way to find the will of God is to be a good man, to get your your heart right. And so we're told exactly what God expects from us here. He expects his people to be praying, giving thanks, and rejoicing. This idea of... A Christian who always has a chip on his shoulder, always is downcast, always has a bad attitude, but somehow is giving God glory with his life is just completely foreign to the scripture. God's will for us is to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks. Then he tells us what we are not to do. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test all things and hold to what is good. And... Then he says, don't participate in anything that is evil. So the quenching of the Spirit, certainly you can resist the Spirit as he's leading the believer, but in the context here, it seems to be speaking of a public worship service. And so there are people who won't allow the Spirit to move, are people who as a prophecy is being given, they're, they're rejected out of hand without even considering it uh and so we're told don't do that allow don't make this just a ministry of the flesh but let it be a ministry of the spirit allow the spirit to move be open to to the moving of the spirit and god has a way of confirming things to people who truly have faith don't just reject prophecy also, don't don't embrace prophecy that isn't true. He says to test all things. So we have um, further instructions in First Corinthians where he's talking about judging prophecy that's giving. And so the the church isn't supposed to be um, gullible and fall for every flashy silver-tongued preacher. Uh, but there should be people with discernment. There should be people with wisdom. There should be elders. There should be other ministers um, and and praying saints that are familiar with the voice of the Lord and with the scripture. and And this keeps everything in balance. And so we do test everything that's given. And be sure that you don't participate in anything evil. Certainly, this would include any sin, but in the context here, again, I believe it's probably referring to prophecy that isn't correct or isn't of God or or doesn't align with other scriptures. Verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Verse 24 is an incredible scripture because we're getting to Paul's purpose in writing this entire epistle. Remember, he said he he wanted to come to them so that he could add to what they have, and, and give them what they lacked, and so his prayer here, he he's so impressed that they're uh, continuing in the Lord with all that they faced, but he's praying for their complete sanctification. And of course, God does this through His Word, through the Spirit, and then through the ministry. And so a saint has to believe and receive these things. So in, in this instance, it's a matter of believing and receiving what Paul wrote. And so Paul wrote concerning truth uh, and adhering to truth. He wrote to them even about giving. Uh, he wrote to them about sin. He named some. Uh, he wrote to them ab- about being faithful and being good stewards and taking care of your own business, not being slothful. Uh, he wrote to them about spiritual apathy uh, in the strongest terms. He he warned against sexual immorality and said that was rejecting God himself. He wrote about self-control. He wrote about internal things like love and hope and faith. He wrote about Christian disciplines, prayer and and he wrote about prophecy and discernment. All of these things are what God uses to sanctify completely the church to sanctify means to separate or to set apart for God's purpose. So this is how God separates us to Himself, and it's both an inward and an external work of God. So when He sanctifies you wholly, it's not just changing the way you feel or think, but He says He'll sanctify your spirit, your soul, and your body, so that you're blameless. It'll absolutely change the way you live, so that you are blameless at the coming of the Lord. And he said he will do this because he's faithful. And so there's great hope if you're somewhere along the journey that God's still working on us. God will do this as long as as we're receiving his instruction with faith. The Lord's doing a work in our life. We're his workmanship, and he will complete the work. He'll sanctify us completely. Verse 25, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the holy brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen." And so he concludes the letter, and I think there's some application today. Maybe we'd do it slightly different. Um, he told them to greet the brothers with a holy kiss. Uh, and in their culture, it was appropriate to uh, to greet one another with a kiss on the cheek. But we have an overriding principle that our good doesn't need to be evil spoken of. So in our culture, in our day, that would have a different meaning. So uh, we probably don't want to, to greet other brothers with a kiss. I sure hope nobody would try it with me. Um, but the principle is true. Uh, it's extending fellowship to one another, and so here's the application for today. First, when he said, "Brothers, pray for us," it's very important in in turbulent, confusing times that we pray for our spiritual leaders, that we pray for the ministers, that we pray um, for the people who who are trying to lead us. Also, that we greet and extend fellowship with our believer with fellow believers that brothers and sisters was it's not the same as mr and mrs they're supposed to be it's not just a a title or a surname or whatever the correct word is, uh, a proper way to address one another in the church. No, there's supposed to be an affinity, a love. We have one for another, a a bond that we have. And so we are to actively um, keep that relationship. So go out of our way to greet one another, to be friendly, to spend time together, to care for one another, to bear each other's burdens. And then he said, I solemnly command you by the Lord. This sounds serious, that this letter be read. And so we need to read the word. And, and then he said that the grace of the Lord be with you. And so that we receive grace each day. So praying for leadership, fellowshipping, strengthening, greeting one another reading the Word, and receiving grace. Um, And and he concludes by saying amen. I think we can all say amen to that. That's what we need today. So let's pray together. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to live out your Word. Help us, Lord, to follow your commandments. Help us to believe, to see great movings of the Spirit. I ask that you would sanctify us holy, Spirit, soul, and body. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join me again tomorrow for another episode.